Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. It's great to be with y'all. One, one of the songs, in fact, the last one we sang just now, Gyra, uh, is by a band called Maverick City. Uh, I heard from somebody that they're playing at the Grammys tonight, um, and I'm not encouraging you to watch the Grammys, but I am going to encourage you to pray uh, for our brothers and sisters on that team um, as they bring the name of Jesus to a place like the Grammys, and that God would use that. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool opportunity. You know, one of the things that I get to do uh, among a few are, that are unique as a pastor um, and by the way, not everything that I do is unique to me as a pastor. For instance, it's not my job to share the gospel and you give tithes and offerings so that I can share the gospel with people, right? Like you get that. That's your job and it's my job. Uh, I, I study the word and I try to get familiar with what God's word says, but most and many of you are also doing the same thing, right? So th- there's this illusion that like the pastor does all the kind of spiritual stuff and we do the secular stuff, but reality is to study, to show ourselves approved, to take the gospel to lost people, all of those things we're all called to. One of the things that is somewhat unique to my position, however, is to be called upon when people are coming to the end of their life. Oftentimes that'll be a, a sister, a child, a cousin that will say, hey, Pastor Chris, I've got a loved one who's dying. Would you come and, and be with this person? And I get the chance to pray over them, to, to remind them of Psalms like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, to sing in one occasion Amazing Grace with a woman who was barely out of a coma as she mouthed only the words to Amazing Grace the day before she died. I, I get those opportunities. And one thing that I have found is that when people are on their deathbed, when people are at their last days, they never ask to be surrounded by their things. I, I'm yet to have a woman say, would you just place the jewelry on the bed beside me? and that will be enough, right? Like I've never heard a guy say, hey, get the Lexus out of the garage and put it just outside the bedroom window so I can see it. (laughs) You know what people call for when they're at the end of their life. They call for other people. And the reason is that there is nothing more important in our world than relationships. I'm gonna guess that that's a premise that I'm not gonna get any pushback on, right? Like no one's gonna hear that and go, actually, no, 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 we understand intuitively that relationships matter more than anything else. And I wanna talk to you today about your three most important relationships. In fact, if I was to ask you to write down what are the names or or the the people that are your three most important relationships, there would probably be a lot of uh, uh, crossover in the sense of you talk about a spouse or a child or a parent or a family member or a close friend. But reality is we'd have all very different names, right? Because we're in different spheres of influence. I told my daughter, uh, one of my daughters this week, what I was preaching on, three most important relationships. She goes, oh, can I guess? I said, sure. She said, God, mom, and us. (laughs) I said, yes. But actually this morning, I want to talk to you about three relationships that we all have in common that I believe are in some ways, at least foundationally, more important than any of the specific relationships in our lives. I'm gonna tell you what those three are and then we're gonna take the time this morning to to look at each one in more detail. The three most important relationships in your life, I believe, relationship with God, your relationship to sin, and your relationship toward other people. 
I get this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and go there uh, in, the, in the passage, 2 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 16, we'll also have it on the screen behind me. Let me read the words of the Apostle Paul. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come, and all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first relationship I see Paul dealing with in the passage is this relationship with God. I I, want to deal with two questions that immediately should come to our minds. The first is, what do we mean God? I googled God quotes this week, and I found quotes without hardly any searching. It took about 15 seconds to find quotes about God by Jesus, Oprah Winfrey, Garth Brooks, Confucius, John Lennon, Stephen Hawking, Henry Ford, and Bob Marley. Needless to say, they didn't have a common agreement on who they were talking about when they used the name God. See, see, in this room, there would be some sense of, of common ground. We would say the God of the Bible, the God who was the God of Israel, the chosen people who sent Jesus to redeem the world, that the one God manifest in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we'd say that is God. And yet, in this room, there would be variations on the way that we picture and understand God even within that. Some of you grew up with a picture of God that looks like these individuals, and you're going to see a common thread here. Just go through those. I found these on Google as well. Actually, it was DuckDuckGo, cheap plug. And what's interesting is is much of the world and throughout much of history, God has been portrayed as as an outdated, irrelevant, distant, stern, and stoic man sitting on a throne with a big beard. (laughs) Like, that's, that's the view of God that has permeated culture. And the problem is that view, that image, that picture of God can distort our most important view and our most important relationship. The 20th century theologian A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the problem with this view of God as distant and, and stern and outdated is it's not only the wrong view of God, It's the exact opposite view that we see in the New Testament. Like it's not just just missing it a little bit. It's like a completely different picture. And I know that because of this reason. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And it is he who upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, if I want to know what God looks like, I can look at Jesus. And when I look at Jesus, I see someone who is not distant, but who entered our brokenness and touched the untouchables. 
I see one whose ministry was described not as stern and stoic, but as John said, grace upon grace. Not irrelevant, but one who fills my own life with relevance and purpose and meaning. See, moving toward God in in high school through faith in Jesus did not move me deeper into religiosity. It didn't move me deeper into irrelevance. What it did is it gave meaning and purpose to my life for the first time. And all of this was from God in the person of Jesus. So that's who we mean when we say God. What do we mean by relationship? This morning in the volunteer huddle that we have before our services, we asked the question, who's the person that introduced you to Jesus? Who first introduced you to Jesus? And a lot of, a lot of us took the opportunity to share a little more about our faith story and how we came to know Jesus. And, and many of us shared a similar story. We said things like, well, I grew up in a Christian home or I have a religious background, but when I was in high school, when I was in college, when I met my wife, something changed. And some of us have come to understand that there's a difference between religion that we do for God and relationship that we do with God. See, relationship requires me to move beyond ritual and get to heart engagement. Uh, Valentine's Day of this year, I, I got to take my wife to Charlie's Steakhouse on I Drive. It turns out one of our people is like a uh, third cousin, once removed, former roommate of the chef. I'm kidding. It's a little closer than that. Of the chef of Charlie's Steakhouse. I said, well, tell him that his filet mignon is, is worth the money. I mean, it was phenomenal. It was first time ever being there. But imagine that at Valentine's Day, we're sitting at the booth and my wife says, so why did you take me out tonight? And I give her a confused look and I say, because it's Valentine's Day, it's what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) And her heart would just, you know, it's like, no, no. What she wants to hear is, baby, I would take you here every day if I had the money. You're so deserving of it. I, I know we don't get a lot of time with work and the ministry and the kids and we're going nonstop. But every once in a while, I just want to sit down and look you in the eyes and remind you that I love you and that you're the woman that I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with. It's like, that's, that's a different thing, is it not? And a lot of us have been, you know, painted a picture of God where he's like just sitting on a throne waiting for us to mess up or maybe do something right. And it's like, that's not what God is looking for from us. He wants relationship. It's interesting that when marriages fall apart, oftentimes in a court of law, the reason that's cited is irreconcilable differences. Interestingly enough, Paul in this passage we read a moment ago five times uses the word reconciled or reconciliation. To be reconciled to someone, to be in a relationship with them is to experience mutual support through love and service and communication and intimacy. And some of you are going, How in the world do we have that with God? And I'm telling you, that is what God desires for you. A mutual sense of love and service and intimacy. It's not a one-way street. God wants it both. When I look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, two things become clear as it relates to relationship with God. First, relationship with God is initiated by him through Christ. You didn't wake up one day and go, I think I'm going to go look for God. I think I'm going to try to get saved. (laughs) If you know Jesus, if you're in relationship with God, it's because God initiated the process of reconciling you to himself. This is what it says in verse 18 of the passage. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Very next verse. 
That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Who's reconciling? It's not us, it's God. He is initiating relationship with us. And secondly, I see that to be in relationship with God is not the natural state of people. This one's a little harder for some of us to swallow because the culture has amplified a message that everyone is pretty much good and, and, and you know, God is pretty much okay with you, but unfortunately that's not the portrait the Bible paints. In other words, where reconciliation is necessary, it's clear that brokenness has occurred. Where reconciliation is necessary, brokenness has occurred. And this brokenness came through something the Bible calls sin. Some of you are like, ooh, man, that, that, that word, that term. And, and understandably, some of you have been wounded by people using sin and sinner and pounding pulpits or, or doing you know, damaging things in that vein of it's, you're sinning and I need to... When we talk about sin here, we talk about it a little differently. See, see, we believe it's one thing that all of us have in common. So there's no reason to shame each other. Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when we talk sin here, it's a lot less you and they, it's a lot more I and me. I sin. I sinned this week. I probably sinned while I'm speaking right now. Like, it's just, it's part of the human experience. It doesn't excuse it. But it does mean it's just a common experience. See, some people, they're afraid to talk about sin or deal with sin, and they're like, no, there's too much shame in that. We never shame people about sin. But we also don't rename it. Call it something else. Right? We're okay. We're like, this is what happened. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. The word the Bible most often uses for sin is a Greek word, hamartia. And the word simply means to miss the mark. I'm going to illustrate this for you, and I actually need a volunteer. Can somebody hop up here? I've got somebody in mind, and if they don't volunteer, I'm going to call on them. Will, do you want to do this? Come on, bud. He, I knew he did. I saw it in his eyes. Will, I want you to go stand by your mom, and I want you to take three chances to hit this, this target. Remember, Hamartia, missing the mark, but Will, please don't hit me. Okay, so hit the, hit the thing. You ready? Go. Or the drums, Will. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. One more. One more. Not bad, not bad. Okay, y'all give it up for Will. <laughs> Incidentally, the first person in the first service did the exact same thing. Two misses, one hit. We all did it. We, we, we all missed mark. All have fallen short. So what Jesus does is he goes, hey, 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 you don't need to try to throw the hatchets anymore. Like I've seen what you can produce in hatchet world. It's not good. So Jesus says, here, I'm gonna hit the mark. Do you wanna take my score? <laughs> Yes. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we hit the mark. We become the righteousness of God. Let me illustrate this one other way. A few weeks ago, I was looking for my five-year-old son, Jonah, um, after the services. Um, and typically, he's like climbing on stair railings or doing something crazy. I'm sure my wife knew where he was, but I didn't, and it made me nervous. So I'm looking around for Jonah. And I turn a corner and I see Jonah like moving quickly in the opposite direction of me. And I say, Jonah. And he stops and turns around. I said, what are you doing? He said, I was looking for you. In other words, even our desire to do the right thing and to go the right way ends up wrong. Some of you experience this. You're like, man, I, I think I had the right motivation when I started that relationship, but I have destroyed it. You know why? It's because we all have sin. 
We all mess up. We all fall short. Like, man, I started that business. I intended to use it to glorify God, but now I'm in all these ethical issues and I feel like I... I, I why? Because of sin. Sin always leads to brokenness. Isaiah 53 said it this way, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one of us to his own way. And this impulse to sin, this reality of sin in our lives, it cannot be life coached out of us. It cannot be motivationally spoken away from us. We don't need life coaches. We need a savior, one who can reconcile us to God. Relationship with God through reconciliation in Christ always changes our relationship in two ways. I want to cover this quickly. When we are reconciled to God, when that relationship with God, the most important one uh, happens, two things then occur in relationship to sin. Number one, God forgives our sins. Praise God, anybody? <laughs> God forgives our sins. Paul says it this way, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, it's one thing if this is passive forgiveness. Somebody comes up and says, hey, Chris, I, I did something really terrible to you and against you, and, and I'm, I'm really, really sorry that I did. And I say, hey, hey, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. It's okay. That, that's not what Jesus did with our sin. What Jesus did is more like somebody saying, hey, Chris, I, I really want to apologize. I did something terrible, and I, and I wronged you. And I say, I'm aware, and I also know something more than you know. I know that your actions are going to cost me more deeply than I could have ever imagined, and it's going to wound me more significantly than you can ever imagine, but I forgive you. It's like, what? Jesus reconciled us to God, forgave our sins, does not hold them against us. Not only that, but he freed us from sin's power. So first, the grace of God through reconciliation forgives our sins and then it frees us from sin's power. One verse we didn't read that I want to pick up here is verse 15 of the same passage. It says, Christ died for all of us, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who raised, uh, for, for their sake died and was raised to life. So think about it like this. When Jesus died on a cross, the mercy of God was released for forgiveness of sins. When Jesus says it, it, is, it is finished, it means there is no more need for anyone to perform a ritual to try to please God. It can't be done. That the blood of Jesus was sufficient to forgive our sins. And when Jesus raised from the dead and walked out of the tomb, the power of God was released for freedom from sin. We no longer have to walk in it. We are no longer slaves to it. You go, Chris, I thought you said you sin a lot. I, I do. But what I'm learning through the mercy of God is, is to progressively grow in sanctification, to grow in righteousness, to grow in freedom. I no longer go back and have to do the things I once did. I am free from sin. These are two sides of the same coin. There's a lot of people going, oh, I want Jesus' forgiveness so I can live however I want. That's not how it works. Forgiveness and freedom through reconciliation to God. By the way, this is why when we baptize, uh, we do two things. First, uh, and, and these are symbolic. The reason we lower somebody under the water in baptism is to demonstrate the dying to sin, the old life being buried. And the reason we pull them up out of the water is so that they don't drown. I'm just kidding. It's part of it. 
The reason we pull them up out of the water is to demonstrate a new life being born. Jesus said no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so we are dead to sin, we are reconciled to God. Our two most important relationships are dealt with. You no longer have to try to earn God's favor, you've got it. You'll never be closer than you are right now, right, through faith. But not only that, we now consider ourselves dead to sin. Jesus physically died on a Roman cross to break the bond of sin. All we have to do, scripture says, is consider ourselves dead to sin. Which means when the impulse to sin comes, I go, well, that's a weird thing. Like, that's part of that old dead nature. Why would I do that? Now, none of us is perfect in this. We all sometimes go back and catch those dead things and bring them out of the tomb. But I'm just telling you, we don't have to do that. We are set free by the mercy of God. And then there's this third relationship that we're going to spend the remainder of our time on, our relationship toward others. And there's a lot of specifics in that relationship with spouse and friend and neighbor and coworker, but I want to talk generally about how we relate to other people. Verse 16, Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him this way no longer. In my first reading of this this week, it was like I kind of tripped up over that phrase, according to the flesh. That's not a common expression, at least not one that I've found. It's like, Paul, what do you mean according to the flesh? Here's what I believe he means. We no longer look at people and see skin deep. We no longer judge people by their appearance, their abilities, their wealth, or their status. He says, in fact, at one time, we did the same thing with Jesus. We looked at a poverty-stricken, long-haired hippie with rebel followers and said, man, that guy, but he's like, but I've learned not to regard Christ according to the flesh. He's not what he appeared to be and neither is your neighbor, your friend, your family member, or your coworker. Meaning they are not just what they appear to be. What are people? Well, as a Christian and, and knowing the word of God, people are souls that will spend eternity in heaven or hell and need the reconciling work of Jesus to be saved. And this changes or should change the way we think about people. The neighbors across the street who have a, a, a grandson who's constantly in trouble with the law. In fact, last weekend, I took the kids on a bike ride and Nikki texts me. She says, hey, don't come home. The police are here again. <laughs> so I'm like riding extra laps around our neighborhood waiting for the police to leave. And I'm thinking, man, this kid is just a troublemaker. He's a hoodlum. God is teaching me to think differently about Dylan. In fact, his grandfather came over and just kind of apologized and talked to us and I had the chance to just pray for him and to pray for Dylan. God is teaching me to go, hey, don't just look at a broken kid. Look at somebody who I'm desiring to reconcile through faith. Pray for that. Pray for that for your family members, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. Learn to see them through the eyes of Jesus. Learn to make Jesus' mission to save people your mission as well. Let me ask you the question, have you ever lost something of value? You could put your hand up if you have. Anybody, everybody lost something of value? Okay, this happened to me this week. Um, I did my therapeutic uh, sharing of this in the first service, so I'm gonna pare it down and just get to the heart of it. We were on a staff retreat um, in, uh, outside of Atlanta, kind of Gainesville area in Georgia this past week. And y'all, I was, I was like, I was bent on saving money on this retreat. Now we didn't stay at a Motel 6, we didn't ride our bikes from the airport, like it wasn't like that. 
but, but everywhere we could save money, we're like, we're staying in an Airbnb of a family member. They're like, just give us the cleaning fee and, and I'll make the food. And we're saving like $8 a head per meal. You know, it's like, it was great. We saved all kinds of money. And then I lost the key fob to the rental car. And when I say I lost it, I mean, I lost it. It is somewhere in the pit of the planet Earth right now. Like it is gone. And you're like, how do you lose the key? I don't normally do this. Well, it was one of these fancy new cars that you push a button in to start and somehow the key fell out of the car. And we were over an hour away from the place we were staying and I and drove back. And it wasn't until the next morning we're going to leave for a visit at a church. And I'm like, where are the keys? Let me get to the end of the story and then I'll tell you what I was feeling along the way. Never found the key. We paid about $180 for three Uber rides on top of the rental car that we paid for and couldn't use. I had to pay $375 for a tow truck to get me to the airport an hour and a half away. And it was late, so I paid $178, I think it was, for clear so I could get through security faster, which didn't work. They punted me back out to the other security line. And when I got to the rental place, it was a $250 key replacement. So all the money that I saved us, we lost in that exchange. But the reason I share it with you is when I was looking for those keys and when those keys were lost, it was an obsession. Some of you can relate. It's like, I, there's, there's no way they can be lost forever. Like that, that cannot be the reality here. We're calling people in Helen, Georgia that we didn't know. They're like looking over this gravel parking lot for us. I'm like, I, I need to go because I can't trust somebody else to go. Like I need to do this. I need to get my own eyes on it. It was an obsession. And the picture I see in the New Testament, when Jesus says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, it's of a God who became obsessed with reconciling his people, bringing back the ones who had wandered, saving the ones who were lost. That became the consuming passion. And you go, man, in the same way that I wasn't willing to, to trust somebody else to look for the keys, you're thinking, certainly, Jesus is not gonna entrust this ministry or this mission to somebody else, right? Like there's no way Jesus is gonna put a task this important in the hands of people. And yet it's exactly what he did. Chapter five, verse 19. And God entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. God entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Y'all, I don't even trust my kids to unload the dishwasher because they're going to break something or worse, they're going to put the cups with the bowls and the spoons with the forks and it's going to be a mess. I can't handle it. God took the most important mission in the history of the world and said, your turn. I've done the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus did the dying and burying and raising to life, but I'm giving you the message of reconciliation which means that Jesus is not gonna show up at the next door neighbor's house and knock and say, hey, I know no one else has told you, but you need to know that there's good news and you can be saved. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It means there's not gonna be a, a vision from heaven. The sky's not gonna open and your coworkers are gonna go, oh, it's true. He's not gonna send Gabriel or Michael, uh, the angels and go, hey, the world needs to know. He says, I've given this message of reconciliation, this all-important saving message of good news, I've put it in the hands of the people that I've reconciled. And it means if we don't do it, it doesn't get done. God's blueprint for reaching your coworker with the good news is you. 
God's game plan for reconciling your neighbor to himself is you. Now, one thing that God did give us, the Holy Spirit. So God gave us the message, but he said, but hang on, at Pentecost, I'm gonna pour my spirit into you. And the spirit of God is longing to seek and save lost people. The one who lives in you, would you let him do his work? Would you maybe push to the side all the other concerns? They matter, they're not unimportant. But a hundred years from now, eternity from now, is it gonna matter how much of your to-do list got done that day? How fancy the car was? How early the bills got paid? Whether or not the kids got to bed at the right time? All the things we concern ourselves with. God concerns himself with seeking and saving lost people and entrusting to us that message of reconciliation. Marcy shared with you earlier today, and I want to invite those of you that have experienced that reconciling work of God. We got two great opportunities. Spring Fling, that's going to be more of just a first touch, an opportunity for people to, to come onto this campus, Horizon High School, find some Easter eggs, hang out at a food truck, play some games, and maybe go, man, I'm looking around and I'm seeing people that have something real in relationship with God and in relationship with each other. Because by the way, when God reconciled us to him, he also reconciled us to himself. That's why we celebrate the fact that there are many generations and there are many ethnicities and talent levels and people of socioeconomic statuses different together under the gospel. It's the work of reconciliation. And we're praying, man, would people come and see that firsthand? And then on Easter Sunday, if they would come back and if you would bring your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends and family members, they're gonna hear a clear message of how they can be saved, how they can experience the gospel for themselves. I wanna to speak to one other category of people and that's those of you that might be just like right in the line. You're like, Chris, I don't know that I've really taken that step of faith yet. I don't know that I've yet entrusted my life to Jesus for salvation. Or maybe you've done that, but you've not been baptized yet since you gave your life to Jesus. Maybe you were baptized as a baby or as a child, but you've come to understand that baptism is a choice to reckon with what God has done the, uh, through Jesus on the cross. I cannot think of a better Sunday than Easter for you to take that step of baptism. I don't want you to do it if you're not ready, but I'd love to have the conversation with you. In a moment, Marcy's gonna share with you on our Connect card, there's a way that you can indicate interest in baptism. You're not signing up for it. You're just letting us know so we can have a follow-up conversation with you. Demonstrating what God has done in your life by reconciling you, burying you to sin, and raising you to new life. And in a moment, we're gonna sing a song called Build My Life. And I wanna encourage you to not only sing the song, but to make it your prayer, to pray. God, would you build my life on your love? The same love that compelled Jesus to come to a cross. Lord, would you let that animate and fuel my life so others may know. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the work that you have done already for us. The it is finished spoken by Jesus. God, all that we have to do now, not to earn our salvation, not to earn your favor, we've already got all that. But God, we want to take seriously the responsibility to share the good news with others. Maybe, Lord, that's a simple invite to Easter. Maybe that's walking across the street and engaging our neighbor in a conversation. Maybe that's an opportunity at work or on our softball team or in our PTA or whatever it might be, Lord. Would you teach us to see people the way that you see them? And Lord, would we have the privilege of seeing not some, not dozens, 
but hundreds of people in the coming years come to faith because they ran into somebody who calls Horizon West Church home because they came to a service at Horizon West Church. When you are lifted up, Jesus, you will draw all men to yourself. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.